Last week we began this new series that we're calling Close Encounters. And in this series we're revisiting some of the everyday account encounters that Jesus had with a variety of people. Most of the stories are coming out of the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record basically the same stories. John has a different perspective and some different stories. But I encourage you to read along through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You can see these stories. But our goal in this series by, discover, by studying Jesus is, is to begin to discover and understand what God is like. Because if we can understand what Jesus is like, we're going to know what God is like because Jesus and God are the same. In fact, last week we looked at a passage in the Gospel uh, of John where Jesus basically said, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You have seen God. We act the same. We think the same. But I want to show you a couple of other, uh, other verses. I didn't really have time to share them with you last week where this point's also made pretty clear. Uh, Paul's writing Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. He says this, The Son is the image of of the invisible God. Now maybe you didn't know it, but God the Father is invisible. And this verse says that the Son is the image of the invisible God. It's pretty self-explanatory. Again, if you want to know what God is like, just, just look at Jesus. He's a spitting image. Here's another one, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through whom also he made the universe. Now notice this phrase. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's pretty clear. The exact representation of his being. So if you want to know what God is like, just study the life of Jesus. And that's what we're doing in this series. We're looking at some people who had everyday encounters with Jesus. And then based on how Jesus uh, interacted with these individuals, uh, we're learning what we need to know about God. Now this weekend, we're going to look at the story of Jesus and the leper. And, and that's found over in Mark chapter 1. And if that's what you thought we were talking about, that's a leopard, okay? And uh, you need to come to church more often, okay? But we're, we're talking about... Jesus and the leper. So if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 1. By the way, my creative team can come up with anything. I'm sure at some time that was Jesus holding a sheep. But it sure looks like a leper. Uh, Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 40. This is what it says. A man with leprosy came to him, being Jesus, and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Of course, he did the exact opposite. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now what can we learn about God the Father from this encounter between Jesus and the leper? First of all, we learn this. We learn that God is a compassionate God. And let's be honest, most of us, as I said last weekend, that's not how we see God. We see God as an angry God. We see God as judgmental. We see him as cranky and mean. But we're going to learn that he's a compassionate God. One of my favorite scenes in the New Testament takes place in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, beginning in verse 35, this is what it says. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. But notice verse 36, when he saw the crowds. In other words, the more Jesus did, the bigger the crowds got. The more people he healed, the bigger the crowds became. So notice what it says in verse 36. Maybe it was with a sigh, he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. 
Uh, this word compassion uh, is a term, a Greek word that was used in the first century, and it was used to describe the innermost part of the abdomen or the bowels. In other words, when Jesus looked out and he saw the multitudes, when he saw the crowds, they're hurting, and all that they were going through, literally it means his stomach knotted up. His stomach twisted up. He was moved over the sheer number of the people. He was moved over their hunger, their pain, their poverty, their sorrow. He was moved over the suffering. He was moved over the mess that they had gotten themselves in. In fact, if you look at verse 36, it tells us what moved him with compassion. It says, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus looks out to these crowds. He looks out to this multitude that just keeps pressing up against him and he sees bewilderment. He sees confusion. That's what this word harassment means in the Greek. But on top of bewilderment, on top of confusion, he sees, it says helplessness. The Greek word is one who is leveled and wiped out. That's what he saw on the faces of the multitude. He saw people that had run out of answers. He saw people, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. They didn't know where to turn. And I read that and I thought, you know what? That pretty much describes Hope Community Church on a typical weekend. Whether you're at our Holly Springs campus or maybe our West Cary campus or here at our Raleigh campus, you know, some of you, you come in and you know what the reality is? Because I've talked to you, some of you tried drugs trying to find happiness and satisfaction. It didn't work. Some of you have tried alcohol. Some of you have tried sex, or maybe you've studied philosophies. Maybe you thought education would bring it. Maybe you lived an extravagant lifestyle. And the reality is you've run out of things to try because you've tried it all. But now this weekend, here you are, you find yourself sitting in church. You don't know what to do next, and there's still this void. There's still this emptiness in your life. There's still this pain. There's hurt. There, there's this itch that you just can't quite scratch. But I want you to know something. As God looks at you this weekend, he doesn't condemn you. He's not angry at you. He's not judging you. If I understand Jesus, when, when God looks at you in your situation, you know what he's, his stomach knots up. He has compassion for you. Now, that's what we're going to see in this encounter between Jesus and the leper. Go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, most of us will never see a leprosy in our lifetime. In fact, I did a little research this week. There's actually less than 200,000 cases even left in the world. But let me give you some idea of what it would have looked like to have leprosy in Jesus' day. Uh, there's a uh, uh, Paul Brand who was a hand surgeon and uh, he, he, he worked a lot with lepers. In fact, he, he became a, 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 an authority on lepers. This is what he writes in his book. He writes, for years leprosy has provoked a fear bordering on hysteria, mainly because of the horrible disfigurement that may result if it goes untreated. The noses of leprosy victims shrink away. Their earlobes swell. Over time, they lose fingers and toes, then hands and feet. Many go blind. Along with the disfigurement, there is also isolation. In biblical days, they were seen as outcasts. And he quotes a couple of verses, one from Leviticus 13, 45. As for the leper, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered. And he shall cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days which he has the affection. In other words, when someone was walking toward the leper, he had to immediately let them know, unclean, unclean, stop. Don't come any closer. I'm unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days which he has the affection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. 
Here's one out of Numbers chapter 5, verses 1 and 3. Command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper. You shall send them outside the camp. Anytime a leper came within 50 yards of a healthy person, he had to warn them. And if, if, if a leper did come in contact with a healthy person, that person immediately was considered unclean. I mean, can you imagine like living like that, living a life of total isolation? Imagine seeing that first little spot on your arm that turned into that little nodule that began to fester and finally ulcerate, and then your skin began to rot, and you knew, I have the disease of leprosy. Imagine never being touched again. Imagine from that point on never being able to hug your child, never being able to hold your spouse, never once, never again having your friend just reach out and touch your hand. You lived the rest of your life in total isolation. But if interesting, if you, if you read the way this is written in the Greek, and especially if you look at the other Gospels, you get the idea that when this leper came up to Jesus, he literally reached out and grabbed him. Well, that told him he knew something about this man called Jesus. By the way, how would you have responded? If you're walking down the streets of Jerusalem and all of, a side, all of a sudden out of a side alley comes a leper and he runs up and he grabs you, what would be your response? My guess is like, what the heck are you doing, man? Back off. Don't touch me. Don't do that, right? Jesus doesn't respond that way. Do you know why? It's because in the Old Testament, if the unclean touched the clean, the unclean made the clean unclean. But when Jesus came along, if the unclean touched the clean, being Jesus... The clean made the unclean clean. Now, I hope you got that because that's about as deep as I can get. In fact, I'm a little dizzy right now. I need to go lay down a little bit. I, my brain can't work like that, right? But in the Old Testament, if you were unclean and you came in contact with the clean, the unclean made the clean unclean. But Jesus comes along and all of a sudden, this guy touches him. Why? Because now the clean makes the unclean clean. Now, the reason I want you to understand it is this. All of us. Okay, I don't care how spiritual you think you are. I don't care if you grew up in church like I did. All of us, when we come to Jesus, we are unclean. When we come to Jesus, we are spiritually diseased. Our life is a sinful mess. But even though we come to Jesus unclean, understand this. When we encounter him, Jesus will never, ever respond, don't touch me. Don't touch me. In fact, when you read the Gospels, you discover that everyone that encountered Jesus, they were just like us. They were sinners just like you and me. Some of them were prostitutes. Some of them were adulterers. Some of them were tax collectors. Some of them were even politicians. I mean, these are bad people I'm talking about, right? But understand, when they came to Jesus, he didn't judge them. He didn't condemn them. He immediately showed them compassion. And let me just say that since we're in this series. If that is a characteristic that is true of Jesus, then that is a characteristic that is true of God. And that means that no matter how bad you are, no matter how much baggage you have, no matter how bad you've blown it, you can always go to God because God has compassion on hurting people and needy people and messed up people. And maybe that describes you this weekend. Maybe you walk into the doors of Hope Community Church and your life is a mess. Maybe you've blown it and you've blown it big time. In fact, you've become an outcast Family will no longer talk to you. Friends will no longer associate with you. Your life is an absolute disaster. I want you to know this. There is a God who has compassion on you and is ready to dump compassion all over you. The verb form of compassion is compassionate. He is ready to compassionate all over you if you will let him. But do you know what that means to those of us who are Christians? 
That means that if we're going to follow God's example, as we saw in our last series, that has to be the response that we have toward people. That's why at Hope we say, we're going to just love you where you are. Warts and all, bags and all, mess and all, we're just going to love you because that's what we're called to do. Follow God's example and be compassionate. But do you know what our response often is as Christians? Let's be honest. We judge. Someone comes to us, they're broken, their life's a mess, and often what they'll hear from us is, how in the world could you? Or maybe we start feeling pious and we respond with something like, I would never, right? And what we're doing without even realizing it, we're judging them. And you know why we do that? It's because most of us see God as a judgmental God. I don't know if you know this or not, but in biblical times, people, can, people considered uh, leprosy the judgment of God. They thought if you acted a certain way, if you were so bad, God gave you leprosy. Now, before we turn down our nose, turn up our nose at these guys, understand we still do the very same thing today. You know? We have a group of people in our society over the last few years that have been infected with the HIV AIDS virus. And I actually lived in, in California when it really began to spread and it was really in the news. And I'll never forget, it was a few years ago, a whole lot of church people. A whole lot of people speaking for the church of Jesus Christ. A whole lot of Christians in our society said that the disease was the judgment of God brought on by certain behavior. Well, let me tell you something. When we discovered the HIV AIDS virus, if anybody should have been the first ones to reach out to the people impacted by that disease, it should have been the church. It should have been those who are followers of Jesus Christ. We should have been immediately compassionate. By the way, if you think that HIV AIDS is the judgment of God brought on, behavior, on, on by behavior, what would the judgment of God look like in your life based on your behavior? You know what's interesting? This is one of the things I've noticed over the years. Christians are pretty clever. We figured out that there are certain sins that are unacceptable sins. You can't commit adultery, you can't rape someone, you can't murder someone. These are just bad, you can't. But then you know what? There are some sins that we've learned to tolerate. And they've become acceptable sins. But it's interesting, when you read the list, God doesn't seem to separate them. I'll give you an example. Gossip. It is like the favorite indoor sport of Christians. We love to gossip. Now, we're not gossiping. We're sharing so people can pray more intelligently, right? That's what we're doing. We're not slandering people. We're just using discernment. What if all of us who struggle with gossip and slander, what if we experienced the judgment of God because God was just sick of that one? What if our tongue swelled up and fell out the next time we gossip? Would you like that? A lot of you are greedy. We can talk about, you know, sharing of our resources. We can talk about generosity. You're thinking, I'm living the dream, and I do think I can take it with me. You're just greedy, right? What if God said, I'm sick of that sin. Tomorrow you'll be penniless and destitute for the rest of your life. What if God, those, those who struggle with lust, some of you men, you can't stay off the Internet. What if God said the next time you click on one of those sites, bam, blind. What if God's judgment was on you? Some of you have sex outside of marriage. Very clear what the Bible says. God designed sex for a man and a woman within the context of marriage. Some of you are like, that's old school, that's old-fashioned, no one lives that way anymore. We're just going to keep having sex. What if God says, I'm going to pour out my judgment on you, and next time you have sex outside of marriage, I'm not just going to beat you with the ugly stick, I'm going to beat you with the whole tree. I'm going to make you so ugly nobody will ever touch you again. You know? How would you feel about that? 
I mean, why in the world would we ever point our finger at other people and say, you know what, that's the judgment of God because of that particular behavior. What would the judgment of God look like in your life because of your behavior? HIV isn't the judgment of God. In some cases, it's the consequence of choices. In some cases, it's the consequences of risky behavior. But what about those who contracted disease through a blood transfusion? And what about a baby, an innocent baby that's born, but a mom or dad had risky lifestyles, right? Is that the judgment of God? Let me tell you something. Society sees us as judgmental. There's a reason that society sees Christians as judgmental. Do you know why? Because we're judgmental. That's the reason right there. And the reason we're so judgmental is because we think that's how God is. That's how we see him. That's our concept of God. So we think if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for us, right? You ought to go home and read Romans chapter 2, verse 4. This is what it tells us. It tells us not the judgment of God, not the condemnation of God. It is the kindness of, of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that draws us into a relationship with him. I mean, just read the Gospels. When you study the life of Jesus, you don't see a judgmental spirit. In fact, the only time Jesus ever got angry was when he was dealing with people. There was pride in their heart, greed in their heart. Often it was the religious leaders. You don't see that in Jesus. You see compassion. And from that, we learn that the Father is also compassionate. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He thinks like I do. He acts the way I do. Here's the second thing we learn from this story. Not only is God a compassionate God, he's a willing God. Look what it says in verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. I read this, and I love the fact that Jesus didn't say, if you'll straighten up, I am willing. If you get your act together, I'm willing. If you can prove to me that you're serious about changing and following me, then I'm, I'm willing to help you. He didn't say that. He just said, I'm willing. <laughs> I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to get involved in your situation. That's my will. Now, part of our problem is we don't understand the will of God. So let me, let me explain something about God's will. The word will here means desire. In fact, in most cases, that's what it means. Uh, you go over to, to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, and it says, you know, it's God's will for all to come to repentance, that none perish, but that they all come to repentance. Now, I got news for you. There's a lot of people that aren't going to come to repentance. There's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to turn to God, and they're going to perish. Now, why is that? You say it's God's will. Why are they going to perish? It's because God gives us also the freedom to choose. You can choose salvation and forgiveness, or you can reject salvation and forgiveness, but you have a choice. Let me tell you something. It's God's will for you to have a great marriage. It's God's desire. That's literally what the word means. It's God's desire for you to have a great marriage. You have a say in it. You choose who you date. Ultimately, you choose who you marry. You choose what kind of behavior you're going to have once you're married. So when you think about God's will, think about God's desire. Literally, the leper came to Jesus and said, if it's your desire, you can help me. And Jesus responded, that, that, that's, my, that's my desire. Let me just say something about God. One of his attributes is immutability. That means that God's the same yesterday, the same forever. God will never, ever change. That means that if he was willing to help then, he's still willing to help hurting people today. Now, 
which brings up an interesting question. Some of you are thinking, but what about my marriage? I've asked God, my desire, I've asked God to, to get involved in my marriage and fix my marriage or, or to fix my child or to deal with this disease, this illness that I'm struggling with. Why hasn't God, why hasn't God shown up and been willing to help me? I'm going to leave you hanging for a second. I'll come back to that in just a minute. Here's the third thing we learn from this story. Not only is God compassionate, not only is he willing, but he is able. Just as we sang earlier, he is able. It says, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now, I don't know exactly how it happened. Maybe it was like the clip we saw earlier. I don't know. Maybe his nose reappeared on his face, you know. Maybe, maybe immediately he regained the use of his hands. Maybe he began to regrow the toes that he had lost. I don't know. However it happened, he immediately knew the joy of health and strength and dignity again. For the very first time in who knows how many years, he was able to return home, go back to his family. He was cleansed. He was healed immediately. Incredible story. Now, here's my question. As followers of Jesus Christ, how would our lives change if we really believe with all of our hearts that God is a compassionate God, that he's a willing God, and he's able to do what we need done in our lives? Again, I know this is a simple message. All my messages are simple, and I know they're simple because I run into parents all the time who tell me how much their middle schoolers love my messages, and I get that. I'm right there on their emotional level, educational level. I'm a simple guy. But let me tell you something. I'm also simple enough to believe that God is compassionate, that he is willing, and he is able to do whatever he desires to do in my life. I said earlier that God, one of his character traits is he's immutable. He never changes. Another character trait or attribute is that he's omnipotent. That means he has all the power in the world. And you understand something about God. It doesn't take any more power for God to heal cancer than it does to create the universe. When God opened the Red Sea, I tell you, it didn't drain him one bit. You will never hear God say, whew, that flat wore me out. I believe I need a few days off. You're never going to hear that, right? We, I mean, our little pea brain minds will never understand how big and how powerful our God is. We can't comprehend that. So let me ask you this weekend. Is that how you see God? You got a big God or you got a little God? You know, one of the questions that we, we parents, we love to ask kids when they're little is, how big is Johnny? You know, how big is Aaron? How big is Sally? And, you know, the typical response, I'm this big. And by the way, don't try that with your wives. Okay, it's nowhere near as effective when you try it with your wives. But it's really, really cute when you do it with your kids, right? I'm this big. And I think the reason we do that is we want them to realize and see that they're growing. Now, here's my question this weekend. How big is your God? Because the longer you're in a relationship with him, the greater he should become. Is your God growing? This is what Jeremiah 32, verse 17 says. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. It's interesting. If you look at it in the Hebrew, the Two, I think they, a lot of words they put in in translation for clarity literally it says this nothing is hard for you nothing is hard for you now let me clarify something because God is omnipotent nothing is too hard for him you know but sometimes 
what we desperately want in our lives, what we desperately desire in our lives, isn't God's desire. And it's because sometimes God being sovereign, he has a different plan for our life. He has a different desire in our lives. In fact, next week, uh, we're going to be looking at a cool story. We're going to call it Jesus at the pool. Maybe you never thought of Jesus that way. But this is Jesus when he goes to the pool of Bethesda. And you remember it was surrounded. A lot of people were lame. A lot of people were blind. And Jesus comes across this lame man who's been lame for 38 years. And then there was a suspicion that if they could get in the pool when the waters begin to move, they would be miraculously healed. And Jesus saw him and he says, hey, I'm crippled. I can't get in there. And Jesus said, well, get up and walk. Just get up and walk. And he got up and he walked, right? And then Jesus left everybody else there unhealed right and you read that story in your way say why would he heal one guy and not heal why didn't he just say everybody get up and walk everybody start seeing he didn't do that he said you get up and you walk into it Mike that's not fair that's not very politically correct I mean it's got to be fair one thing I know about God I'm pretty sure he's not too concerned about being politically correct the bottom line is this sometimes it's God's will and he it's his desire sometimes it's not his desire you go to John chapter 9, there was a man who was born blind, and, and Jesus heals him. And, and in fact, the disciples, they see him and say, Jesus, what about this guy? Why is he blind? Is it something that he, he sinned in the womb? That's actually something that the Jews believe. Is it something his parents did? Why is he blind? And Jesus said, I'll show you why he's blind, so that the Father can be glorified. And Jesus healed him. Sometimes it's his desire. Sometimes it's not his desire. And this is where we have to learn to trust. We have to trust in the fact that God has a plan for each of our lives that oftentimes we just will not understand. Sometimes in our life, our desires will intersect with God's desires and he will do miraculous things in our lives. We see it in the story of the leper. Sometimes our desires will not intersect with God's desires, but let me remind you of this. When they don't intersect, it puts us in really good company. Because you may remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating great drops of blood, knowing that he was going to the cross, not the physical aspect of it, but the aspect of taking on the sins of the world, being separated from the Father, and he'd never been separated. Nothing but perfect harmony with the Father. And what was it Jesus prayed? If there's any other way, any other option, any other choice, if there's a plan B, let's pursue it. However, Father, not my will. Not my desire, but your desire be done. You see, even when our desires don't intersect with God's desires, and God chooses not to do what we want him to do, I want you to understand something. He is still omnipotent. He is still all-powerful. He's compassionate, he's willing, and he is able. That's what we learn about God. But you know what's interesting before I let you go? We also learn something from the leper in this story. It says in verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. Let me just say this. If you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus did this a lot. Jesus would show up in someone's life, have an encounter with them, do something miraculous. Maybe he would give them their sight back. Maybe he would give them they would, the ability to walk. Maybe he'd stop an issue of blood. He would do all these different things, and then he would say to them, don't tell anybody, okay? Let's just kind of keep it to ourselves we're just kind of keep it on the download it's just between you and me I want you to know that everybody Jesus said keep it on the download they disobeyed him you read the gospels there's not one person that kept it to themselves not one including this guy it says in verse 45 instead 
he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. Now, here was my thought when I read that. What news do you think he was spreading? Remember, this is a guy who up to today couldn't kiss his kids goodnight. He couldn't go to his son's soccer game. He couldn't go to his daughter's dance recital, which may be the only benefit of having leprosy. I'm just going to say, right? Which may be. Let's just hold it out there. This is a guy who couldn't hold his wife. He couldn't have a job. He was a complete outcast from society. So when he left Jesus and immediately began spreading the news, what kind of news do you think he was spreading? Do you think he was going around spreading the news that everybody ought to try religion? Do you think he was even spreading the news that, hey, I found this great place to go to church. You ought to go to church there. I don't think so. He didn't go around talking to people about somewhere to go. He went around talking to people about someone to know. He went around spreading the news. Listen, I met someone who's compassionate and he's willing and he's able to change your life. Let me just remind you, one of our goals here at Hope is to share our story. Listen, people don't need religion. A lot of you here at Hope, because you came out of backgrounds of religion and you realized it was a dead end, it went absolutely nowhere. People don't need religion. They need a relationship with the one who is compassionate and willing and able to change their life. And every one of us here, every weekend, who's a follower of Jesus Christ, we identify ourselves as Christians. We have a story of how our lives have been changed because of a relationship we now get to have with God through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And I'm just going to throw this out there. Maybe the reason that our world is such a mess is because we're spending way too much time talking about religion. Even as Christians, we're spending way too much time arguing over theology when we really ought to be talking about a relationship. Maybe we're just not spreading the news that, you know what, my life was empty. There was a time in my life when it was a mess, no purpose whatsoever. But then there was a day when I met someone who, instead of rejecting me, had compassion on me, and he was willing to help me, and he was able to change me, and he's able to change you as well. Let me just ask you the question in closing. Are you spreading the news? You know? I'm going to give you a couple of little homework assignments to think about as you go out of here this weekend. Because, again, our goal is to model and imitate God. Who in your life, your sphere of influence, who needs to experience compassion? Is it somebody at work? Is it somebody in your family? Is it somebody in your neighborhood? Maybe it's somebody that's done something really, really bad. They crossed the line. They broke the rules. They colored outside the lines, right? And they've been beat up, and they've been beat down, and they've been judged. In many ways, they've become an outcast. Who in your life needs someone to come alongside of them and extend to them compassion? You know what compassion really is? It's just passion in action. It's not pity. It's not sympathy. It's not even empathy. It's getting involved in someone's life and saying, let me tell you something. I haven't given up on you. I'm not going to judge you. That's not my job. And I know a God who won't judge you either. Who in your life, their life could be changed by one person extending compassion to them? Here's the second question. Who in your life needs to hear your story? 
Who in your life is, is harassed, bewildered, confused, helpless? They look like a sheep without a shepherd. I mean, they are totally lost. There is no hope for them whatsoever. But you've never taken the time and sat down with them and said, can I just, can I just tell you my story? Can I tell you who I was before Christ and what Jesus Christ did for me and how my life has changed. I wonder who in your sphere of influence life would be changed forever just by hearing your story. You're not judging them. You're not condemning them. You're not going to reject them if they reject your story. You just say, man, I thought maybe you just ought to know. Two questions to think about this week. We have a God is compassionate and we're to follow his example and we're be to be compassionate. So you figure out what to do with it. Let's bow together. Let me just say this with your, with your head bowed. I don't know what kind of mess you've gotten yourself into. I really don't. But when I say here at Hope Community Church, we love people where they are. We love you where you are. We have an incredibly high acceptance quotient. See, acceptance doesn't mean approval. But it means we're going to love you where you are. And if you came in this weekend and you feel like, man, I don't even know where to turn anymore. I'm telling you, you have a God who is ready to compassionate all over you. He wants nothing more than to come alongside of you and to heal your wounds and to change your hearts. And I'm telling you, he's compassionate, he's willing, and he is able and when you invite him into your situation through what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, I'm telling you, he will wash you whiter than snow. He will take your sins, and it tells us in Psalms that he will move them as far as the east is from the west, and he will never remember them again. In fact, he will see you right now when you come to him as he sees his very son, Jesus Christ. That's my God. That's my God. And if you've never experienced that, I, I hold that out to you. Maybe as a Christian, you've blown it. And maybe you've been kind of keeping your distance. I'm telling you, that's, that's not God. Sometimes he has to discipline us. Sometimes like the prodigal son, he has to get us into the pig pen because it's the only way he can get our attention. But if you remember when it says the young man came to his senses and went home to the father, the father ran to him. Hebrew men didn't run in those days. <laughs> It was out of character. He ran to the son and he smothered them. He smothered him with kisses. You see, that's the response you'll hear from the father. If you just go take that first step back to him. Father, I just pray that as we go through this series, we will catch the true revelation of who you are. Because as we really see you as you are, it will change our lives. Because as we see you as you are, we will want to be with you. And Father, we cannot come into your presence and leave unchanged. We'll be like Isaiah. When he was caught up into your presence, immediately he saw the shortcomings of his life. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I got a dirty mouth. I need to fix it. Father, that's what we want. We just want to know you love us. 
And we thank you for displaying that through your son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray.